All right. The red light is blinking. I feel like I got a burp. Whatever. Anyway, so welcome to the Saturday edition. I'm excited. I have, uh, I'm going to botch it. Uh, El- Elkoy? Yeah, Elko. Yeah, Elko there. Elko uh, alongside with me. So why don't you give the listeners a little bit about yourself? Right. So I'm uh, Elko Rowling. I'm a professor in the uh, Research School of Earth Sciences in the Australian National University in Canberra in Australia. Um, I'm originally a uh, marine geologist uh, trained in Holland. And uh, so as a marine geologist, I was focusing on using ocean sediments, uh, so cores from the ocean floor, to work out how climate in the ocean, the oceans and climate had changed over time, uh, over natural climate cycles before humans became important. And that then basically set me up for for going more and more and more into what is happening today and how does that compare with the present. I did that through uh, university training in Holland and I did a postdoc in Holland combined with Woods Hole in Massachusetts. And uh, then I uh, went for a a lectureship, an assistant professorship in Southampton in the UK, where I uh, uh, stayed for about 19 years. I became a full professor there uh, after a while. And then I went to to Canberra on uh, on on a good job deal. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, so you get the so you're down in Australia, correct? Correct. Yep. So, uh, like, we did, right before we started uh, recording, you said it's autumn there. So, is it is it going to be? So, what's the what's the temperature like over there? Uh, and, and today, uh, the daytime temperature is about twenty degrees, and uh, the nighttime temperature will be about zero. This is Celsius for my the listeners here. That we're, we're yeah. Don't ask me what that is in Fahrenheit. <laughs> no, don't worry, it's okay. We're that we're Fahrenheit here in America. We got to be different from the rest of the world. That's okay. All right. So yeah. So the main reason I wanted to bring you on is because, uh, like I said before we even started this, I had you know I'm here in Illinois, and all you hear is a bunch of farmers uh, complaining about the climate and the rain, how they want it to stop, and you see it more and more how. The weather is just changing across the world. Just today in Missouri, they had a couple more tornadoes. I, I forgot how many tornadoes touched down in the last like week or two. I think 20 plus have touched oh, wow. down. Yeah, so a lot of uh, weather changes have been going on. I've read and heard some articles of about uh, marine life potentially dying here in the next year or two. I think it was almost a percent of uh, a life in the oceans will die within a year. And, you know, it's kind of us to change it. So you wrote a book, uh, The uh, History of, of the Ocean, and then you also did another one on the on climate as well. So, uh, and your findings of the history of the ocean, where did, how far back did you start and what did you see back then? And then where are we at today? So, so essentially, the oceans are extremely old, right? So the, the world ocean, uh, that goes back to about 4.4 billion years ago when we see the first indications of water on the planet. Um, that's only about 140 million years, well, only 140 yeah. <laughs> million years after the formation of Earth, which was a very hot event. So that's quite surprising that you would see water. Uh, there's been a very recent paper, not by myself, but from colleagues in Germany, they related the, uh, the, the, the water that was brought to Earth to a planetary impact very early on, about 4.5 billion years ago, uh, Earth was hit by a planet the size of Mars. Mm-hmm. And that planet was always thought to be also a dry planet from the rocky interior of the solar system. But what they now find is with a whole bunch of chemical isotopes, 
that this planet was actually a wet planet from the outer solar system and therefore it was uh, carrying a lot of water and that's that's plenty enough water to explain what we now see on earth so it, it may well be the one event that brought the water on earth to us to what actually should be a dry planet in the inner solar system earth um, so there's good evidence that actual ocean basins exist from about four billion years ago so there's plenty of time to study the ocean uh, in, in geological time, mm -hmm. but we don't have very good records. The, the, the really good records come from ocean drilling and they go back to about 100 and 160 million years ago. So this is the time of the dinosaurs and from uh, material that's been pushed up in, in, in mountain ranges where you can, can study past uh, marine sediments and you can go further back in time to about you know 700 800 million years ago Jeez. so uh in your studies uh, for especially for the ancient time when did i guess uh, so obviously land came about and then you know dinosaurs and such so in your research i guess let's just keep it within the last century or so what what are we finding that's changing in the ocean in the last century because like i said uh there, there's I keep reading article after article of how, you know, the, the earth is heating up, ice caps are melting. So what in the last about, I guess, let's just not go for century. Let's go in the last 50 years. Let's go, you know, 50, 30, 10. Uh, in the last 50 years, what, are, what has been, I guess, the biggest change in your, that you've seen evidence-wise? Yeah, so essentially what, what you see is, is that is really the period where, where man becomes a very important player. So man starts to become uh, an important player from when we start to become, uh, you know, settled in larger populations for first around the Mediterranean about 10, 11,000 years ago. And then it starts to spread out more around the world, but we're not really that important for life in the ocean and life on the planet, not even when we were going around in wooden sailing ships. Mm. It really started to change as we started to go out and do industrial style activity on the planet. You know, industrial whaling is a good example, um, especially once the whaling became properly industrialized, not from wooden whalers, but actually, you know, where, where it was actually still very dangerous to the, various, to, to the people doing it, but to something that was really one after the other, they were taking the whales out. Um, and then you really start to talk about the last century, 150 years, and, uh, and, and that accelerates as the population increases, the human mm -hmm. population increases, that influence accelerates, especially as the industrialization also accelerates. And so uh, in, the, in the past 50, 30, 10 years, if you looked at the ocean, just, just you looked out over the ocean, you wouldn't see much difference, right? Okay. And it would have looked the same. And I can tell you, I mean, I'm 55 years old. So 50, 50 years ago, well, 45 years ago, I can remember, the ocean just looked the same as what it does now. But um, it was definitely cleaner, both for visible pollution and for the, 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 the non-visible pollution and, uh, you know, the dissolved pollution. And... If you look at the actual measurements, what we know is that sea level is, is going up. It's not going up very quickly because 
it is a slow process to melt big ice sheets, mm. um, but it is in, inexorably going up. This is going up and up and up. It's not going down. And uh, ocean acidity is also increasing. So what we see is that since the Industrial Revolution, ocean acidity has dropped, ocean pH has dropped by 0.1 units. It doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a 25% increase in acidity. So when that drops, what's that mean for ocean life? Because for us, it's like we don't care because, you know, we can still swim in it. So what's that mean for ocean life? Uh, let's put it this way. If your pH would drop by 0.2 or more, you would get seizures, uh, full convulsions, a coma, and death. Um, so if you're a mammal in the ocean, uh, you will get similar problems because your body fluids are adjusted to the fluid that you live in. Uh, and that's even more the case for fish and for uh, shellfish and corals and so on. And what we see happening in these organisms is that they have similar um, problems, but also for smaller acidity increases, they will get problems. They, uh, a fish will try to keep its pH in the ideal range of where it wants, you know, of where its body functions. Mm -hmm. And that costs energy. So if the pH starts to drop off its environment and therefore of its bodily fluids, it will have to expend energy to restore that. And that energy takes away from mobility, from growth, from reproducing. And you will see the same happening with, with the invertebrates, the, 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 the corals, the clams, the shellfish, and so on. They, uh, and they, in addition, will start to struggle putting their skeletal parts down. So it is really something that ocean acidification we don't hear about enough. It's a massive problem mm. that will eventually attack the food web from all directions. So in the last, how many, like, so when did it start making the change in the pH level? Was that in like five years, 10 years, within a year? And then how, it, go ahead. That, that change has really been accentuated over the last 50, 60 years. Okay. And so, so at the weight we're going, is it going to continue to drop at the weight we're going? Yeah. And, and it's actually going it's actually going faster because we are pumping a lot of emissions out at the moment we're pumping much more out than 60 years ago mm. so uh, as that co2 gets dissolved in the ocean the, acid, the ocean gets more acidic so over the last 50 to 100 years we've gone down by 0.1 units over the next 50 years we'll go down by 0.2 to 0.25 units Crap. Okay. And uh, yeah, that's not, that's not good. Uh, you said this, you said, you said the sea level is rising. Like how, how, I mean, you said it's not drastic, but the fact that it's rising is still a problem because at some point we're going to run out of ice and that we become, uh, you know, we're going to get in trouble with that. So how fat, like how much is it rising? Uh, how fast is the polar caps melting, I guess? At the moment it's measured in millimeters. Okay. Millimeters right? here, but what you need to think about is that what, what we see now happening is the expansion of ocean water as it gradually gets warmer. It takes an enormous amount of heat to measure ocean water warmer. And that's gradually happening. So it's lagging behind the air temperature that we are all feeling. Mm -hmm. The ocean is taking up 93% of the heat of, of the global warming problem. And that's because it takes an enormous amount of heat to warm up water compared to air. Now, what you, what you see happening is that the ocean then starts, as it gets warmer, it starts to expand a bit, the water, that brings sea level up. 
The other thing that happens is that as the ocean gets warmer and the air gets warmer, the ice caps are melting and they're bringing meltwater into the, into the oceans. And that again starts to uh, raise sea level. Now that ice cap melting again is a very slow process because it needs to get going. It's like a big freight train. Mm. So if you have a freight train, you put your foot on the throttle, nothing happens except that the engine is roaring away. And then very gradually, this thing is picking up, it's picking up, picking up, and all the carriages, one after the other, begin to move. And eventually it's moving. And then you can, once it's at speed, you can stomp your foot on the brake, but it's just going to keep on going. Right, and that is the same with with how the ice caps are responding. You need to kick them long, and you need to kick them hard before they res respond. Once they are responding, as they are now doing, it's almost impossible to stop them anymore. So, yeah. sea level rise will be with us if even if we reduce our emissions or not. Sea level rise will be with us for a long time, for centuries. So if we slow down how much we're pumping into the air with pollution, cars and industrial, yeah. uh, will that help slow down? Or are we kind of just, we kind of made our bed already and it's too late? It, it, will, it will determine the end point where we're going to end up. But okay. at the moment, the, the ice sheets, they don't even know where we're at now. They are responding to what happened 100 years, 50 years ago. Okay. And, and so they're just picking up. You know, It's like a big giant has just woken up and... They're, they're beginning to pick up now yeah. and, and they will keep on doing so because the ice, ice flows, right? Ice is not a rigid substance. Ice flows like a very slow river. Okay. So once that ice is flowing, it will just keep on going for a while, even if you take the forcing away until it basically gets into a cold state again, where it starts to settle in a new equilibrium. And that is the big problem with these things that these slow, what we call slow feedbacks, like the ocean heating is a slow response. The uh, ice sheets are a, a slow feedback. Vegetation changes are also uh, a relatively slow process. Uh, whole vegetation zones moving over the planet. Mm -hmm. These slow feedbacks, they take time to get going. But once they get going, they will keep going for a while, even if you go back. Okay. And if you just stabilize, they will still keep going. So then eventually, okay, so it'd be many, it'd be centuries before it actually catches up to us slowing down. So, okay. Um, so you're from Australia. I've seen articles and pictures of, you know, whether it be on Snapchat, magazines, internet, whatever it is. Uh, I want to ask about the Great Barrier Reef. That's Australia, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it, how bad of shape is that in? And I don't know the estimate of years of uh, potentially it dying out because of how bad we're doing. So I know it's like a big wonder of australia to go see it is it's a big wonder of the world it's one of the few natural formations that you know uh, organismal formations that you can actually see from space it's a, it's, it's massive wow. uh, but it's um one one of the things uh, that we find with the great barrier reef is that corals are extremely sensitive to temperature okay and when you uh, raise the temperature and not even to talk about you know, increasing the acidity and uh, also thinking about processes like pollution or actual physical destruction. But just the warming will make the, the corals expel, uh, when they get really seriously stressed because of temperature, they will expel 
the algae that live inside them. Mm-hmm. And uh, that will make the coral translucent. And then you can see the white skeleton, which is why they call it uh, uh, coral bleaching. Okay. And, and, and if you do that uh, once and for not too long, then after the temperature drops again, they will take algae back in and they get color again. Okay. But if you do it too often, then they die. Or too long or too often or both, then the corals die. And you know, when they're dead, they don't regrow. And, um, and that's what's happened in the Great Barrier Reef, where normally you would have one bleaching event every what, you know, six or eight years. Now there's been two big bleaching events in succession. Yeah. And the essentially large parts of the Great Barrier Reef, the corals have died. It's not everywhere, but yeah, yeah. in large parts. And that is the sort of damage. If there was another big bleaching event coming now very soon on the back of it, and the temperatures are unfortunately quite high, um, so that's quite likely that it will happen, um, then you, you may wipe out everything that's there. And, and so whether this is going to happen next year or two years from now or five years from now, that's, that's impossible to say because there's natural variability as well in the system. Um, but it's definitely the whole bleaching cycle is getting more and more and more frequent because the baseline temperature is going up. So you can you said you can't really kind of predict when it's going to happen again because kind of, the weather kind of fluctuates so i guess my best uh, so in your best prediction in the next 5 10 15 years where do you see the ocean and where is it going is it going to get any better or is it just going to continue to i guess get hotter and things get worse yeah so um gradually the ocean is uh, as i said the ocean is picking up a lot of heat it's yeah. warming up uh this is something that will just continue the, uh, the ocean will continue to warm up now, the ocean surface, and that will have a couple of consequences. One is the, uh, the, the, the bleaching of reefs around the world mm. will intensify, will become more frequent, and will become more lethal as a result. Um, so the ideas are that in the next 5 to 15 years, we will start to look at entire swathes of coral reef, not just severely degraded, but actually dead. Um, then also with warmer oceans, we will get a more active hydrological cycle, as we call it, is evaporation and precipitation, because warmer water evaporates more, warmer air holds more moisture. So this is what we can see is the bigger storms coming. Okay. Bigger hurricanes. Um, you know, it's not, not a popular subject in the United States. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so would that make it not only bigger, but would it make it more frequent as well? More frequent hurricanes? And Actually, the, 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 the models are showing a very interesting picture where actually the frequency may decrease a little bit, but the intensity will increase. But also the, um, the intensity upon landfall especially will increase. Okay. So it's the intensity over the open ocean. You could say, well, if you happen to be there in your boat, that's tough. And I've actually been there. It is tough. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> tough. I like how you put that. It's just tough. I, w- I was out on the ocean in, uh, when, when, when Katrina came over. And, oh. uh, <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, that was not much fun. I, but, <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it, but yeah. No, no. 
it's not good for your stomach. But, <laughs> but then, uh, when these hurricanes come and, and the hot water gets closer to land and it stays there closer to land, what we see is the, these hurricanes are pumping more water up, so you get bigger storm surges, bigger flooding, but you also get like what you saw with Harvey, these enormous bands of rain that are just staying there. Mm-hmm. And, and so you get these enormous dumps of rain together with the storm swells. And that's a pattern that we may actually start to see quite a lot more frequently. These big hurricanes sitting there, pumping the water from the ocean onto the land and bringing the big storm surge at the same time. So you get, you get flooding from two sides. Well, uh, well I'll... Okay, so it doesn't sound splendid or great at all. Okay, so start getting, you know, the boats ready and start calling Noah to build the ark. Um, Illinois, <laughs> you should be okay for a while. Yeah, true. I, like I said, uh, the farmers here aren't too happy because nothing's growing for them. It's, it's too wet to grow. So um, let's get back to the littering issue. Uh, obviously, there's is, is it true? I always hear about this. This uh, a garbage island or whatever i don't know if this is a myth or whatever but um how bad is the littering and obviously we humans can change so much of it i think we are making strides into it where there's plastic there's a uh, plastic list of uh, bulbs of water there's i think people are switching to hemp bags instead of plastic bags so they are biodegradable but how bad is the littering problem and then how how much does it really affect the uh, ocean life yeah so the littering problem is a, is a really big problem mm-hmm. But it has one upside is that you may have noticed in the last five years it massively focused the population of the world mm. onto pollution. Well, that, yeah, that's a, that's a very so, big positive. So, so it's a very bad problem to have, but it has an upside is that it makes people think, what the hell are we doing? Well, yeah, and, I mean, that's always good and, and bad, you know, he's got to wait for something yeah. to get so bad for being like, okay, now let's care, you know? So, so the, uh, the, the big problem, I think, with litter is that it's not just your local handbag and so on. That, that is important. There is also part of the consumerism of society where rich countries export their waste to poor countries to dump it there because okay. it's cheaper than actually processing it. And it gets dumped and then it makes its way into waterways and then eventually into the ocean. So it's all about attitude again, and it's all about uh, you know to to not try to make the marginal little dollar cent, but actually to do things properly. And everybody knows how to do things properly, but we don't do it because we may save a tiny little bit of money. Yeah, and and so the. The other thing I would say is that the litter problem for, for most oceanographers that you will talk to about it is a massive problem. It's, it's a very visible problem and you, you get all that marine life with, with plastics in them and also bird life with plastic in them like you wouldn't believe. Actually, uh, humans are also, we've got microplastics in our body if you start to look at it because of what we eat. Yeah. And, and uh, it's the same with marine animals. It goes all up and down the food chain, but it's almost a marker for what other things such as very poisonous chemicals like PCBs, for example, are doing. They're all around. They're also in the deepest depths of the ocean in the organisms. 
Um, and so the plastic again is working as a trigger for people to start caring more about pollution going into the oceans and into the environment in general. Um, and then the last thing I would say about it is that actually compared with acidification and warming mm. and the enduring impacts of those, plastic is really, I would say, is the second order problem. Those two are the really big problems that eventually we will have to come to terms with and for some, in, to, to some extent we're going to have to live with them. Yeah. Um, uh, whereas with the plastic, I think what we, what we could do is to just change our attitude, change our behavior, do a concerted cleanup. You see all these little startup companies now coming and they say, if we all pick something up, then the problem will go away pretty quickly, right? It's a yeah. 7.3 billion of us. If we all picked up some plastic and properly disposed of it and it gets properly processed rather than transported to Bangladesh or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, then, then that problem could be dealt with. The microplastics are more of a problem. How do you get them out of the water? It's, it's anybody's guess. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I see some very innovative... Uh there's innovative robots people are putting out that are just strictly just picking up garbage out there. There's, there's fascinating things that people are, are doing and more and more engineers are looking towards cleaning up uh, the oceans and it's awesome to see. Uh, it kind of goes back to we made our bed, now we got to lie in it when we talk about the temperature uh, rising and then the litter that uh, I guess all the plastics we, we put in the um, ocean. Now you see so many people going with metal straws, you know, instead of using the plastic straws. So it's, it's good and bad. Like you said, it's terrible that it takes us so long for us to see. Yeah. that uh what we're impacting the world like i said I've, I've talked about before how global warming was brought up and then people thought it was just a fake myth and it wasn't real but now we're um now we're kind of paying for it so let's move instead of the let's give the ocean a little bit of break maybe we'll come back to it so let's talk yeah. about the cl climate as a whole you you wrote another book about climate change correct yeah so so the first one was was the oceans of deep history mm -hmm. and the one you now refer to is is the the climate question i and, think and I, the one that's just out, yeah. yep. and I recommend any listener to go check those out, read them because this is a fascinating um, topic here. So my thing is, okay, let's just start with, start with temperature rises. What have you seen? What have you noticed? Uh, are they actually going up? Are they going down? Is it fluctuation? Is it year by year, decade by decade? What have you been seeing? So the, the temperature, the global average temperature, global mean temperature is definitely going up. So mm -hmm. if you look at over the last 70 years, there is, if you, if you draw a line through that, then you will get just under 0 0.2 degrees Celsius per decade of warming. Okay. Um, and that's, over, you know, at least over 70 years. And if you go further back, it's a bit slower because it's, it's accelerating. Now, the, uh, the key with that warming record is that of course, there's always natural variability, and sometimes there's a volcano, sometimes there's lower emissions, uh, for example, because there's a world war or something like that. And, uh, you know, these emission patterns, they change. The, 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 the volcanoes are sometimes pumping out a lot of sulfuric, uh, sulfate aerosols, which are reflective, and they hold some sunshine, some sunlight away. Uh, and then it will get cooler for a couple of years. So there are fluctuations, but okay. they are all fluctuations around a very decidedly increasing trend. 
Now, you may have heard about the global warming pause, which was supposedly happening, uh, you know, five or ten years ago, a couple of years when global temperature didn't really rise much. Um, for, for what it was worth in that period, the ocean has picked up more heat. So it's also an interplay between that massive system, the ocean, occasionally taking a little bit more heat and occasionally taking a little bit less heat, the atmosphere basically reflecting that with the fluctuation in temperature. Okay. But it's, it's very clearly increasing and that mean increase is, is of the order of 0.2 degrees Celsius per decade. And is, is that increase due to, I guess, would that be due to us or is that because the ocean is, like you said, uh, taking up more of the heat and kind of amplifying the, um, kind of amplifying the world? Because is it kind of, is it almost like the example of you're sitting on a boat uh, in a pond or a lake and it's a really hot day and you're fishing and yeah. not only is it hot, the sun is reflecting off the water and it's making it even hotter. Is that kind of the same thing? No. It's, uh, okay. So, oh. oh. <laughs> Over the, over the ocean, you essentially what you see is that the ocean is absorbing. Ocean, deep ocean water is one of the most uh, heat absorbent substances that you can imagine mm -hmm. because it's very dark uh, and despite that reflection that you were just mentioning, a lot of it gets absorbed in, in the ocean water, warming up the ocean water, but water has a, an extremely high thermal capacity it takes a lot of energy to heat up water and what what you see happening is that the ocean temperature is 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 lagging behind the land temperature land as you know from day and night land temperature just goes up and down very quickly but ocean temperature if you go to a more maritime climate for example if you go to northwest europe the same latitude as canada Mm -hmm. Interior Canada will be very, very warm in summer, very, very cold in winter. If you go to Europe, it's more or less the same because the ocean tempers that. Okay. The ocean, the ocean is a, uh, a massive buffer for temperature. It's very slow to pick up that warming. The ocean also covers 70% of the world. So 70% of the world is not at the temperature where it should be. So the ocean temperature is keeping the world average down, not up. Oh, oh, so, oh. so even if you would stop all emissions and so on, the ocean will still warm up until it reaches an equilibrium temperature, and then the world, uh, the world ocean temperature, the world, world average temperature will be about one and a half times as what you started off before the ocean had warmed up. Okay. Uh, so I, I've always wanted to ask uh, this question. So is it the Mariana Trench, correct? The deepest part of the ocean that we've known so far. Okay. So is there anything, I don't know. Let's, like you ever, you've heard of the Megalodon, obviously. Is there anything kind of mysterious like that? Do you think deep in the ocean? Cause what, what, as the percentage gone up last, I heard it's like 5% of the ocean has been discovered. Uh, Wouldn't that be famous? What is it? <laughs> Wouldn't I be famous if I knew? Yeah, that's very, that's very true. Um, so, is there no. anything, so is there anything massive down in the uh, ocean floor, do you think? Just take a wild let's, guess, I guess. Let's put it this way. We've, we've done a lot of geological field work in exposed sediment sections. And, for example, if you go uh, in sediments of about 2 million years ago, 
marine sediments, you will find megalodon teeth. And yeah. I, I found them, right? So in, it, in Italy, where you, you're, you're wow. doing field work in marine sediments, and you, you find them. It's about this big. Mm. And um, similarly, we've been taking sediment cores from the world ocean for 70 years, if not more, and never one of them has even shown up that looks like it. Never one of them that is bigger than that of a white shark. Really? So my view would be, for from all that we know from recent sediments records that go back down to you know several hundreds of thousands of years, never anything like that has been encountered. So my my guess is there's nothing around because in older sedimentary records. We do find them, and we do find them quite frequently. Shucks, that'd be something fun, something huge down there. But you know, I'm, I'm glad it's not alive because I, I hate, I hate. Well, I hate swimming in deep oceans. I not a fan <laughs> of it. So, uh, I share that with you. <laughs> so, what is, uh, what is the most mysterious fact about the ocean that you and your colleagues are unable to the figure out? Like, what is the biggest mystery in your, I guess, your field? The biggest mystery? That's a good question. That's not one you asked me before. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it kind of it came to me as we were talking about this. If not, I can go to another one. It's, it'd probably be a little bit easier. Um, no, no, let, let, let me think about it. I mean, it's the, the, the biggest mystery. Is, it's not, not necessarily a scientific question. But yeah, it's something that kind um, of just like baffles you guys. Yeah. And if not, we can move to the next one. Like I said, it's yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm not I'm not necessarily one for saying that really was un, was surprising. I mean, one of the things that in my lifetime, in my in, in my career time, what I find fascinating is these these hydrothermal vents that have been discovered on 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 the world ocean floor, where where you see that super hot you know, supercritically boiling water at 350 degrees coming out of the sea floor. Uh, and, and then to find that there are critters living in that. Really? Yeah. <laughs> just around it and actually very close to these plumes. And you think, wow, you know, deep, deep in the ocean and there's crabs and there's mussels and there's tube worms and, and everything is living on this, on a, on a, it's a chemical ecosystem. So they, they get their energy not from sunlight, but from oxidation of these chemicals that are coming with these super hot plumes out of the ocean crust. That, that really, it didn't baffle me because I saw it developing over time. But mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I thought it was just super fascinating. Okay, so uh, let's go a little bit easier. Sorry, I kind of surprised you with that one. What, what, is the, um, what is the one most, I guess, interesting fact that you would give people about the ocean or climate that we probably wouldn't know of? The, uh, the, the, the most, I think, most interesting fact about the ocean that people are probably not aware of is that how much it has actually helped us in dealing with global warming. It is mm. taking most of the heat, Mm. And it has taken a third of the carbon we have emitted. And it has done so without showing a big temperature change because it takes so much heat before temperature really starts to record. Mm. We're, beginning, 
well, over the last 50 years we're beginning to see it, but it is always in, in the fractions. And, and also, the, the, of course, the, the, the carbon absorption is something that causes this acidification. But unless you really carefully measure it, you wouldn't actually know it. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, so for, for me, that was one of these, these moments that you think about that, that I don't think people realize that. Okay. So I only got a couple more questions for you, then I'll let you go. Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, so let's go with the, uh, in your, for you personally, where is the one place in the ocean you'd like to visit that you haven't yet? Um, Antarctica. And uh, really? Oh. So the, the, I, would love, I would love to go to the Southern Ocean, both to, uh, to test my stomach again. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I, I would just, uh, I've, been, I've been to the Arctic, and I've been to Greenland, and uh, it's just, you know, that, that hole between land and ice and ocean is so fascinating to mm. see. And this is really something that uh, I would love to see. And we're currently writing a research proposal to, to work on some places around Antarctica where there's a large potential for ice melt to contribute to sea level rise. And uh, so that may actually uh, finally take me to the Southern Ocean and to Antarctica. That'd be awesome. I'd, I'd, love, to, uh, I'd love to have you on after that. That'd be pretty uh, cool to talk about. That, how cold does it usually get down there? Uh, well, the ocean goes down, of course. Uh, ocean water only freezes about minus two degrees because mm -hmm. there's salt in it. Okay. Uh, so that, that's as cold as you would get ocean water. Um, and then you get ice. Um, Antarctica, well, if you don't go in the winter, in the winter it will become nasty, of course, very, very cold. And uh, some places in central Antarctica go down to, what, minus 50 or so, Celsius. Um, but uh, in the summertime, uh, depending on the weather, uh, it, it's not that bad. I mean, it will still be freezing. But, uh, <laughs> not that bad, it's like negative 20, negative 10 yeah. Celsius. Yeah. yeah. Oh, how it is, you know, if you have a beautiful, beautiful winter day and the sun's out, it, it doesn't, it's not that bad. Okay. Oh, maybe you're just a little crazy too, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So I'll end with this. What, what would be your best two cents or your best advice for anyone listening on to help with the, uh, help with the climate change? Um, I, I think the, the, the best thing to do would be to really think about not just yourself and your back pocket, but about your children and your grandchildren and what do you want to leave them? Mm -hmm. uh, and that goes for politicians as well. I mean, I know they're not all in the pocket of industry and so on. That's also a bit of a, you know, a, a green alarmist myth. But the, the issue is, I think people are not thinking enough on a timescale of you know, 50 years, 100 years sounds like a lot, and it's it's way beyond your electorate. Uh, but it's not way beyond your children and your grandchildren. So you want to leave them in the best possible way. And I think if we all start to think about that a bit and live accordingly, then things will change. 
definitely. That, I, that's one thing I don't think we've been doing more of is thinking about the future, not only for ourselves, but for, you know, the legacy we're going to leave behind. So I uh, absolutely agree with you. I think we need to take care of the future. We are the change for the future, as you always hear. So um, wise words by a man who does study the climate and the ocean. So you're not hearing it from just some guy talking to a microphone. You're talking from a real life man who studies this. This is his job. So that's so awesome to hear. So uh, is there anything else you want to bring up, plug in, talk about books, uh, next yeah. adventures? I'm I'm perfectly all right. I mean, I've uh, I've depleted what I what what I've written down based on what you said you would be talking about roughly. So uh, no, I'm happy. Awesome. So, like I said, after you come back from uh, from our, uh, from the South Pole, if you want to come yep. on, if you want to come on and talk about it, that'd be awesome. I'd love to have you on. It'll probably be a couple of years from now. Well, hopefully, hopefully my show's going by then. Then you come back anytime, right? Excellent. Very good. So yeah, thank you so much for doing this. Go, go ahead. And uh, do give me a link. Oh, for sure. Go. Yeah. Yep. I'll I'll drop this. Uh, it'll probably be a couple Saturdays, but I'll drop it. And uh, I think within the next week or two. So Perfect. yeah, sounds good. So like I said, if you if you ever want to come back and talk about anything, go ahead and shoot me an email. If you know anybody wants to talk about anything, go ahead and give them my information. They're more than welcome to come on. Perfect. Thank All you. Right. And thank you so much, and uh, I appreciate it so much. And you have a good one. No way. Bye. Bye. See ya.